Now, I have to say, gang, it's not official. I can't verify this with 100% certainty. But word has it that when Biden and Putin met, the first words Joe Biden uttered were, hey, killer. And that just seems odd, but I don't know. He already called him that, so why not? Hey, killer, how you doing? Come on, man. Welcome back. Hour two underway. I've got good news and bad news. The good news is the Biden-Putin summit didn't do any damage. The bad news is Joe Biden plans to come back. I tell you, this is much ado about nothing. These these things never, never. I mean, I guess if you're talking about, um, you know, Khrushchev and Kennedy at Vienna (laughs) that had a huge impact on the future, Reagan and Gorbachev, I suppose, um, at Reykjavik, uh, or elsewhere, but th- these sorts of things usually don't produce much, and the media love them, but that's that's really about it. But we'll keep you up to date on all of that. Hey, remember when Lois Lerner, who ran the tax-exempt department uh, for the IRS during the Obama years, was targeting conservative organizations? So they had weaponized the IRS, sort of the way the FBI had been weaponized against Trump, and was illegally wiretapping political opponents. Even though attorney uh, uh, John Durham is nowhere to be found anymore. I don't know. I mentioned that yesterday. Where the hell is this guy? The U.S. attorney that's supposed to be investigating and bringing charges on this. Anyway, uh, December 14th, 2012. A liberal media outlet received Crossroads GPS. I think that's Rove's outfit. Their application for tax-exempt status. Now, why did a liberal media outlet receive this? Well, the whole scandal was the IRS was targeting conservative organizations. Guess who that liberal media outlet was? ProPublica. Fast forward 2021, ProPublica receives thousands of IRS returns, publishing the wealthier ones, but they still have thousands more, as apparently they've got a mole inside the IRS. The same outfit. I'm telling you, if we don't do something about the permanent bureaucracy and the constant leaks and, more importantly, the takings of sides in all of this, uh, uh, you know, at, at, at the behest of liberalism, um, we're not going to be living in a free country much longer. And one of the first hallmarks of freedom is the free press. Well, unfortunately, We've never seen a, a, a move toward censorship the way we have recently. And it's not just big tech, and I want to get to that in a moment. Uh, but it's also when it comes to book publishing. This is actually a pretty big deal, and nobody's talking about it. But two veteran book publishing executives have now decided to launch their own conservative publishing house called All Seasons Press. Now, here's the deal on this. If the liberal left, the media say, oh, gosh, critical race theory and censorship is just a figment of talk radio's imagination. Why is the former president and publisher of Simon & Schuster's gallery books and a, a former executive from Hatchet Book Group, why are they forming another publishing outfit to get conservative thoughts published if there isn't a problem with censorship? This is how democracies die. Social media platforms, uh, universities, the media, publishers, you name it. 
There is a move towards censoring ideas we don't like, and it becomes very, very dangerous, and it becomes ever more dangerous when you have monopolies doing it. That's why in Ohio, there's a lawsuit demanding that Google be classified as a public utility and become regulated. Let me tell you something. The same people that were bemoaning ExxonMobil a few years ago for their market share are strangely silent over Google's 90, 93, 95, 96% search engine market share, whatever it might be. Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and all the rest of these these left-wing trolls have a control over what we say and do. And they are common carriers. And they ought to be regulated. At the very least, Section 230 ought to be repealed. The Republicans could have done that in the NDAA bill, but they chickened out during the uh, president, last president's lame duck session. And don't think this is a figment of the conservatives' imagination. Get this from Pink Floyd's Roger Waters. Now, apparently last week in New York City during a Stand with Julian Assange event calling for the release of Julian Assange from prison, Pink Floyd co-founder Roger Waters described how he was asked Well, basically how he told Mark Zuckerberg to go take a flying leap. Here's how it went. It's a request for the rights to use my song, Another Brick in the Wall 2, in the making of a film to promote Instagram. So it's a missive from Mark Zuckerberg to me with an offer of a huge, huge amount of money. And the answer is, f*** you. No way. And I, I only mention that because this is an, an insidious, it's the insidious movement of them to take over absolutely everything, you know. So I will not be a party to this bullshit, Zuckerberg. They want to use it to make Facebook and Instagram even bigger and more powerful than it already is so that it can continue to censor all of us in this room. okay Raj don't sugarcoat it give it to us straight I mean that's hilarious and I think there is an undercurrent you're starting to see it from a few comedians John Stewart and and Kevin Hart and others and now Roger Waters uh, who who clearly believes in um, maybe even a purest form of freedom I mean all the WikiLeaks data land on Julian Assange's desk he wants to publish it now they put him in jail So, so Waters says no you can't do that So the guy's a purist when it comes to liberty, and he sees a threat with big tech because of what they're trying to do. And what they are trying to do is monopolize the free flow of ideas on behalf of state-run media. They are getting favors from the government for acting as their enforcer. Every publisher out there, can be sued for what they publish. Not what they say, what they publish. So if they publish my op-ed and I slander somebody, not only can I be sued, but the publisher, the newspaper can be sued. Except if you're Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you name it. They got an exemption in the Telecommunications Act of 1996 called Section 230, which gave them immunity because they were a neutral platform taking on all comers, printing everything that came their way except their liars. They now censor. They're censoring 
anybody that doesn't think the right way. For instance, people that say, oh, I don't know, the coronavirus escaped from a lab. That was censored. Now, they happen to be wrong, but they don't care. Power corrupts and absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. This is Lord Acton in progress. So they're getting this favor from the government. The Republicans in the National Defense Authorization Act had an opportunity to repeal 230, and they chickened out because they cared more about plussing up the DOD, which is turning into a politically correct version of the Department of Housing and Urban Development, and spending more money for defense contractors than they did in in rectifying free speech. This is the Liz Cheney, Ben Sassy wing of the Republican Party. All they care about is tripling the Pentagon. Everything else can go to hell in a handbasket. They don't care about debt. I can tell you a famous member of Congress who told me when I was in the halls of Congress, I don't care about the debt as long as I can get my increases for the Pentagon. And what's the Pentagon doing now? The national security apparatus is not looking out for national security. They're looking after you. Rush obviously had this right when he talked about Facebook's problem not long ago. Facebook has got a problem. And, you know, any company that offers its services free, it means only one thing. It means you are the customer. Or you're the product, actually. And you're the one being bought and sold. And that's exactly how Facebook is structured. When it comes to Facebook, we've had the sound bites here where Obama campaign people brag about suck, sucking up, hoovering up all of the Facebook data for Obama's re-election campaign in 2012. And we've had the New York Times stories talking about the geniuses in the Obama campaign that maximized the usage of all this Facebook data. Cambridge Analytica comes along and gets a measly 50 million people worth of data, and all of a sudden it's a crime, whereas Zuckerberg openly, willingly worked with Obama to provide all of the user data for all of Facebook's users to the Obama campaign, and there was no thought of it being criminal. There was no thought of it violating uh, federal election law, campaign finance, none of that. It was pure genius. Did you see that Facebook, with some of their apps, has even found a way to listen to you in your home? I've had people tell me, I don't know if this is true, I'm just I've had people tell me, they've been on the phone talking with a friend, and in the conversation they talked about a place they might want to go to vacation. And within hours on their phone, there's an ad for that place. And they were talking on the phone. They were not emailing or texting. And they didn't think anything about it until they heard that Facebook might have been able to listen to people through Facebook apps. No, your phone has a microphone, obviously, and your computer has a microphone. Now, Facebook, the customers are the product. Facebook would sell everything they learned about you to advertisers. Now, in politics, that is a goldmine. There's no question. So here this kid goes goes to Harvard and creates, as an avocation, Facebook. He's he's trying to meet girls. The the, the age-old quest of every guy. Meet girls. So he creates something called the Facebook. And he's putting it together while he's a student, and it grows and grows. Long before he hit 30, he figured out that the real gold mine he had 
was collecting every bit of information on every user he could. He was himself hoovering up information. He wasn't providing anything other than an opportunity for other people to connect with each other. But he was. Did he have this idea on his own or did one of his early investors or did uh, one, one of his friends? But it, to me, it's, 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 it's amazing. I know we have prodigies and special people and people that are advanced way beyond their years. But what Facebook has become, it's a just take away the politics of it for a moment and the, and the momentary controversies. It's a massively successful, out of this world successful thing, creating an audience of two billion. Look at it that way, an audience of two billion. There's nobody that's done that. Nobody has that. CNN doesn't even have a million. And if you take away the monopoly they have in the airports. Take away the pornographic star interviews. You practically have nothing over there. And they're seasoned experts. <laughs> you got that right. I'm Jason Lewis, your guide today on the Rush Limbaugh program. More coming right up. 1-800-282-2882. The contact line here on another excursion into broadcast excellence with America's real anchorman, Rush Limbaugh. Rush lives on, thankfully. He also lives on at Rush 24-7, RushLimbaugh.com. Do not forget to maintain your subscription there. I am Jason Lewis, the talk show host formerly known as Congressman Lewis. Let's try to squeeze in a call or two. Greer, South Carolina. Dan, you're on the Excellence in Broadcasting Network. Hey, Jason. How are you doing? Good, man. How are you? Good. So I'm 21 years old. I'm a, I was born and raised a Rush baby, uh, so I have my parents back in Ohio to thank for that. And if there's anything Rush taught me, it's to... You know, think about how current events today um, will play into my life in the long run, right? Mm-hmm. And how to think critically about that. So I'm calling to talk about how um, our, our government really needs to stop this frivolous spending so that the younger <laughs> generation like myself can afford houses. Don't you like free stuff? Doesn't come from... I'm sorry? Don't you like free stuff? <laughs> yeah, but not when uh, I'm paying for it, right? For other people's free stuff. Yeah, it really is amazing, isn't it? You, you can't tax your way out of $6 trillion. And this is the problem for the Biden administration and for liberalism in general. For instance, the top 1% of income earners, these are people closing in on half a million dollars a year, right? They make about 20% of the nation's income, but pay 40% of all the taxes. If you were to confiscate all their wealth, you could not balance the budget. And, in fact, the top 50% of income earners today in this country, the top 50% pay 97% of all income taxes. So the bottom 50% are paying about 2.8%, almost 3%. So literally, um, if they're going to exempt all these people from taxes and just tax the rest, it's not enough money to fund what they want to fund when you're looking at a blowout of $30 trillion in national debt, $6, 7000000000000 trillion. When I was in Congress, the budget was $4 trillion. Now it's $6 trillion. You can't keep this up. So what they do is they say, we will tax, but we won't tell Dan from, from Greer, South Carolina, that we're taxing him and his girlfriend or whatever. And here's how they do it. They have the Fed write a credit on the Treasury's checkbook by monetizing the debt. So instead of borrowing, which, would, which, which literally there isn't enough money, corporate debt is up, there's not enough people that could lend the government this much money, even foreigners, without raising interest rates. 
They monetize the debt. They print money. It's fiat money. The Fed basically buys $100 billion worth of government bonds, mortgage bonds, you name it, every month. And when they do this, poof, money's created in thin air. They financed all this spending. Where does the money go, Dan? Um, <clears throat> beats me. Well, it goes to bid up houses. Goes to bid up the price yeah. of gasoline. Goes to bid up grocery, lumber, you name it. We are in the midst of a housing bubble. I think we're in the midst of a stock market bubble and a bond bubble. We are in the midst of prices going up faster than they have core prices in 30 years. You are being priced out of health care, of education, and of your first house. That is a tax. Right. Yeah, so the the more we spend, the higher, uh, the more expensive it's going to be for um, myself and the rest of the younger generation to buy houses. And I don't think, you know, people my age really understand that. You know, they don't. They don't. In fact, this is the great disconnect in the media. The media will report on the Fed monetizing the debt and Federal Reserve policy, but they will not report that it is a direct consequence of spending. Every dollar the government spends right now is an inflation tax because it's funded through monetizing the deficit. So you are smarter than most. You're connecting the two. Um, the government can, can, can tax, they can borrow, or they can print money. They're doing the latter, but that's still a tax. It's all a tax. Right, and I think this is just another way that the left is going to end up ruining the American dream because everyone, you know, I was born and raised. I want to buy a house. I want to live with my family in that house, and I'm not going to be able to do that, or it's going to be a hell of a lot more expensive to do that uh, in the future because of their actions in Congress. I, I would tell you what, I think the, the left has engineered the greatest assault on young people in my lifetime. $1.6 trillion in student loans for what? For a college degree that doesn't teach you how to operate a cash register. These degrees are worthless in critical race theory and all the other um, attendant social science degrees they can get. It is a grand ripoff for the benefit of people working at the university, the deans, the professors, the diversity coordinators, you name it. It is a, And now they want the taxpayer to pay off the bill. But you're still stuck with the student loan for now. Health care and the lack of real health care reform has priced you out of buying insurance. You can't do it without a subsidy, and even that doesn't keep up. The price of gasoline and the cost of an automobile. Second, you, second-hand cars are now skyrocketing in value because nobody can afford the first one, and the chip shortage is driving up the price of used cars. Groceries are going up. Gasoline and housing. The American dream for young people is simply out of reach for anyone under 30 years old in America. This is a direct consequence of a profligate government spending too much money. And nobody admits it except you. Yeah, and it's just totally devaluing the dollar, and it it just makes me it just it's just sad to see a country that I grew up with that I love and stuff just you know say. Well, how come? How why is it then? Millennials don't get it. Uh, I'll tell you, a lot of people just don't want to hear it. I, I'll try to talk to some of my friends about it, and they're like, "Oh yeah, that's just all that political crap and." I was like, this this affects your life now. Next time somebody says that and they're advocating some program, ask them, where are you going to get the money? 
This is a question every American ought to ask every politician and every liberal hack out there in the news media. Okay, we're going to spend money on infrastructure. $1.2 trillion is the latest compromise. Great, where are you going to get it? Where are you going to get it? Uh, They have not a clue. We roll on for more broadcast excellence on the Excellence in Broadcasting Network. I am Jason Lewis guiding you through another edition of the Rush Limbaugh program. You know, we got to get to the, the, the COVID lockdowns, which more and more now are are seen for what they were, a taking a public health challenge and exploiting it for political expediency, which culminated, by the way, in the in the revising of state election law by officials who had no business doing that, primarily secretaries of state. It was especially acute in Minnesota. No one did anything about it. And it resulted in, <laughs> this is going to shock you. This, this is, <laughs> this is, it doesn't matter where, where you live in an in a urban area. But in Minneapolis, St. Paul, uh, Minneapolis sits in Hennepin County. St. Paul sits in Ramsey County. Shockingly, it's, the counties are just filled with patriots. I mean, you think Ilan Omar's district hates America? Au contraire. They're patriots. Why? They had an 83% turnout in the 2020 elections. Ditto for Ramsey County. Record turnouts. Didn't have anything to do with the fact that Secretary of State Steve Simon illegally redid election law, extended deadlines, ended witness signatures so that we could identify people, um, they looked the other way. All of the officials looked the other way as ballot harvesting was going on. And this all came about, by the way, because we just had to do something in the face of the lockdowns and the coronavirus to allow people to vote without actually proving who they were and getting to the polls like normal Americans would. It used to be you had to jump through a hoop or two to vote because it wasn't only a right, it was also seen as a privilege. Now it's like, you know, have have ballot will travel. Well, the other the other hit from the lockdown uh, was, of course, the economic calamity. And there was a fella, I think it was Andy Pudzer, excuse me, Pudzer, uh, former CEO of CKE Restaurant, CKE Restaurants, writing in uh, his book, The Capitalist Comeback. I think. No, that was an old book. This was in the Journal, I believe. Regardless. He writes, from March 1 through August 31st, nearly 100,000 businesses listed on Yelp had closed permanently due to the lockdowns. That's 500 a day. The National Restaurant Association, 110,000 restaurants have permanently closed. We devastated this country with a lockdown that was there for political expediency by the power-hungry left and their allies in the media and on big tech. By the way, some companies did very, very well. Amazon, online companies, they did very well. Just so happens they support Democrats. It happened to be a coincidence. Well, it wasn't just these restaurants and small mom-and-pop businesses. And this is why I sued the governor of Minnesota when I was running for the Senate to reopen. This is why I defied the lockdown and campaigned anyway when I was running for the Senate. Because it was basically had the boot on every small businessman or woman's throat. And it happened all over the country. And malls, shopping malls, took a massive hit because nobody could go there. Back in April of last year, here's how Rush described that. So Catherine and I were chatting about the 
daily brief yesterday after the president announced the the phased reopening plan for the country. And it has to happen. Folks, there is no delaying this any further. And you see all over the country now, people are revolting against certain state governors who want to maintain lockdown. It can't go on. This forced shutdown, the forced ruination of the United States economy must end. And I can't tell you, I was longing for that day yesterday. I've tried during the course of every day's busy broadcast, I have tried to convey my concern and fear for you, for all of us, for everybody. And I've I've been there. I don't know how many of the people who are among our experts setting policy, I don't know how many of them have been broke. I don't know how many of them have been where 22 million Americans are without a job, without any income, and unemployment compensation that just will not get it done. I don't know how many. There may be some. I'm sure that the law of averages would dictate some have been there. And I think that way too many people in some positions of authority and power really don't face dire economic circumstances like an increasing number of the American people do. There may be great risk in reopening the country in phases. There may be great risk in sending people back out to start working even under the guidelines. There are risks that have to be taken. Taking risks, entrepreneurism, fearlessness, it's a hallmark of the American identity and of the American culture. And this shutdown and hunkering down in total fear is not a hallmark of American history or of American culture. I know that some governors are pushing back on Trump's guidelines to reopen the economy. Some governors are not pushing back. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen here. Because I saw it, I noticed it yesterday. We needed to start talking about reopening the economy. The most abnormal thing in the world is to have the U.S. economy shut down to the tune of losing. I mean, we took a $22 trillion economy, and inside of four weeks, we put 22 million people out of work. You talk about abnormal. And it was running the risk the longer it went on, shutting down the economy, having people stay at home, have cities be ghost towns. You know, never before, to Russia's point, had any government done this. Yes, and that includes the Spanish flu of 1917, 1918. You had had tens of thousands of people still going to football games during the Spanish flu epidemic. Eisenhower, as I mentioned yesterday, went through a horrible, horrible flu season in 1957. There was, I believe, what was it, the Hong Kong flu in 68? All of those strains are still with us. In fact, when you take a look at all of the flu deaths worldwide every single year, it's every bit as many who died of corona. This is going to be with us in various forms, although I think it's going to be, they're going to be mitigated. The variants will be less lethal. But it not, and not at one, including H1N1 a few years ago, but not in 68, 57, 19, 18, did we ever lock down the economy. What we did 
are three fundamental things that we departed from in this particular agenda because they wanted to exploit this for political gain. They wanted to blame Trump. They wanted to punish the enemies with a lockdown, and they wanted to win the election. If you look at history, number one, they make public health recommendations. They don't make mandates. Number two, they protect the vulnerable. They don't infect them in nursing homes. And number three, they let everybody else, including young kids, go about their lives. We did the opposite this time. God may forgive these people that infected nursing homes, these governors, these liberal governors. God may forgive these people that tormented children for a year and ruined their last year in high school, their first grade. There is an epidemic of depression amongst adolescents today, directly result of these lockdowns. It was a form of child abuse. Let me be clear. I'll repeat it just in case you didn't hear me. It was a form of child abuse, and none of it was necessary. We were going to flatten the curve for 15, maybe 30 days, so that hospital capacity, which was never in danger of running thin, wouldn't do so. Once that was done, this economy should have been opened a year ago, as I said on the campaign trail, as the president said, as Rush said. Instead, They have tormented, they have punished, they have violated every damn civil liberty that we've come to expect in the name of power. This is a scandal of untold proportion. History will not be kind to these Democrat governors, the Biden administration, and the news media who basically served as their enforcers. I'm Jason Lewis, guiding you through another edition of the Rush Limbaugh Program. Interesting developments abroad has Biden and Putin meet. The press is going gaga, but Putin is pushing back as good as he gets. Not from Biden, from the media. (laughs) They've got to carry the water for Joe, you see. But it is fascinating. Every time, as I mentioned earlier, Putin gets pushed on, are you a killer, as Joe Biden says? Are you knocking off your political opponents? What about this assassination or this assassination? He pushes right back, and at a press conference, He had a really interesting answer to this notion that are you knocking off your political opponents? On the question of who is murdering whom, people rioted and went into the Congress in the U.S. with political demands. And many people were declared as criminals and uh, they are threatened with imprisonment from 20 to 25 years. On what grounds, we don't know. One of the uh, participants uh, were, were just shot on the spot and unarmed as well. Now, this is fascinating because you have to take a look at this somewhat objectively, something impossible for today's Democrat media complex, and that is this. Imagine you had a January 6th, oh, I don't know, in Tiananmen Square. Or imagine you had it in Moscow. And you had a group of people, and no one's condoning breaking the law. I don't want to traumatize anybody. But just to say you've got a group of people that have been fed up with a government not being responsive to their needs or half a, half the country not being represented, at least that's how they feel. And so they go overboard. They demonstrate. They knock down a few doors. They don't have any weapons. They look kind of goofy in these funny hats. 
But that's what they do. And you don't have to justify breaking the law. I wouldn't do it. I served in Congress. I wouldn't want people rushing onto the floor. But I have to say, watching what I saw, I also wouldn't have been cowering under the desk. But the, the point is, had that happened in Moscow, and someone was shot by the, uh, wouldn't have been the KGB, but the security forces uh, in Moscow, and then people were charged and imprisoned without due process in Moscow, what do you think our response would be over what Putin did? This is not a defense of Putin. This is trying to get people to look objectively on another country or on another uh, politician the way they look on ours. We've become so distorted by this anti-Trump hysteria that's infected the bloodstream of American politics that we can't see things for what they are. Um, you, you, you would, I mean, I'm telling you, the very people that are calling for the heads of every protester convicted of trespassing, where are the insurrection charges? Why is it that some people are being charged and others who are at that event on January 6th are not being charged? Why is it we can't get the videotapes? Who shot the woman that died? The Air Force veteran. If this were to happen in in Beijing or Hong Kong, if it were to happen in Moscow, the same people calling for the heads of the January 6th insurrectionists would be absolutely defending them. And that's what Putin is saying. And I think it's just very, very interesting where he's coming from on this. We'll keep you up to date as to whether Joe Biden's got a a, a comeback to this. He's the one that called him killer, so that ought to be interesting, but I wouldn't hold your breath. 1-800-282-2882. Let's squeeze in a call from Dartmouth, Massachusetts. George, you're up next. Hi. Yeah, and, and you're making the point that I want to, to make as well, and that is, I, to me, the crisis is the media because they continue with these narratives and playing up these false narratives, and now now foreign leaders are using them, just like Putin is using here. It's exactly what happened. Woman comes in, goes through the window, and is killed. That's what they do to dissidents in other countries. And even a couple months ago when China was – some ambassadors were talking to the U.S. and the U.S. was complaining to China about human rights issues. And they turned the tables right back on the Americans and said, hey, aren't you the racist country? Aren't you the ones who can't get rid of racism? Uh, so, And you're going to tell us about human rights? And that's the media playing up these false narratives about us being racist, about what happened at the Capitol. And now it's fodder for these leaders, which is extremely dangerous. You do not have to condone what happened at the Capitol on January 6th to realize any comparison to 9-11 is so fraught with hyperbole and bias and hand-wringing that it ought to be laughed right out of any newsroom. And yet that's what they're doing. That's like Merrick Garland yesterday saying the top domestic threat is not Killer Putin. It's not uh, um, um, President Xi in China. It's not, you know, cyber attack. It's white supremacist groups in America. I don't know about your neighborhood, but they're roaming all over mine. I can't go anywhere. Are you kidding me? Uh, These people are so out of control, and you're quite right. It is the media. They ought to be seen for what they are. Just horrible hacks for state-run government, for state-run media, I should say. Back after this on the Excellence in Broadcasting Network. 
Yeah, okay, don't go anywhere. Third hour coming right up on the uh, Excellence in Broadcasting Network. I can hardly wait. I want to continue with this lockdown stuff and the media bias, all of that. Remember when Georgia and a number of other states, but Georgia in particular in this case, decided they wouldn't lock down completely. They'd have a hands-off policy. The Atlantic, one of the most scurrilous joke of an outfit. I mean, these people are just hacks. They're on their knees for big government at all times. Wrote that Georgia was conducting an experiment in human sacrifice. Except, as usual, they weren't just wrong. They lied. There was no difference between the lockdown states or the lockdown countries and the non-lockdown countries. We'll examine this and get to Russia's take on it coming right up next hour. So don't go anywhere. 